boxing fans. Welcome to another episode of the Rope a Dope podcast. I am Gene Morgan. Very excited for today's guest. Very, very, very excited for him. Dewey Bozella, a man who did 26 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit, found the strength and fortitude to go on and not uh, give up. Uh, through boxing, through the through boxing in prison, really looking forward to having him on. Winner of the Arthur Ashe Courage Award, I've never been more humbled to have a shitty podcast in my life than to interview Dewey Bozella for uh, today's podcast. But before we get to all that, let's uh, let's talk some boxing news now. Obviously, everybody's talking about uh, the new Michael Jordan documentary that just came out, The Last Dance. Uh, it's, it was great. If you have a chance to watch it, I highly recommend it. I mean, it really goes into the ins and outs of Michael Jordan's life. And two things I want to talk about before we get to interviewing Dewey Bozella. One, what's a good boxing podcast, or a good boxing documentary to watch? And two, who is a boxer who I'd like to see a documentary on who maybe doesn't get the, uh, the uh, spotlight that other fighters get? Um, so, first... Great boxing documentary to watch. I would highly, 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 highly recommend watching the movie Tommy. It's an ESPN 30 for 30. It's about Tommy the Duke Morrison. All about the uh, the highs of his life and really the lows of his life after he tested positive for HIV. And, you know, how his life just completely unraveled after that. It really holds... <laughs> pardon the uh, pun, I suppose. Uh, it really doesn't pull its punches when it comes to dealing with Tommy Morrison. I'm, I was a huge fan of it. I watch it almost every chance I get. Um, you know, I, it's so sad what happened to his life after he tested positive for HIV and even puts forth the theory that maybe he knew he was HIV positive before that test. Um, so yeah, if you, and I don't know how true that is, uh, who really knows? But it was a really good documentary, and you got to see where, how he grew up and how tough he was growing up. And um, yeah, I was really, really, really impressed by uh, the filmmakers, uh, the the film, that film, that documentary about how. Because I thought I knew everything about Tommy Morrison, and it turns out I didn't. <laughs> and a documentary on a fighter who I would like to see, Pernell Whitaker, hands down, Pernell Whitaker. I think that would be such a fascinating documentary. You, you know, I mean. <laughs> He won a gold medal in the 84 Olympics. He's one of the greatest lightweights of all time. He is the first man to ever beat Julio Cesar Chavez. I know not on record, but he he beat him. Come on, let's be honest. Let's be real here. He beat him. He may have beaten De La Hoya. That's always been... I've never actually watched that fight, so I would love to go back and watch that fight. But if we could get like a, you know, like a last dance tribute treatment of... Uh, Pernell Whitaker, I think that would be really fascinating. Or even a last dance kind of thing for Floyd Mayweather. The hype behind the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight would be, you know, that'd be something I'd like to see. Um, kind of the curtain pulled back on that. So yeah, that, those are my things. Go watch the Tommy Morrison documentary. It's called Tommy. You can find it on YouTube. I think it's like a dollar. It's really good. And two, who I would like to see a documentary on, uh, Pernell Whitaker. Sweet Pea, as he is known, probably one of my favorite boxing nicknames of all time. He is, <laughs> he, yeah, he, he was really something special in the ring. And it was really cool to talk to Greg Haugen about Whitaker and about how talented he is, or um, was, sorry. 
It's Haugen. I mean, he, he was like, yeah, he was, uh, he was a beast. He was a beast. All right. And with that, we're going to go, we're going to sign off, and we're going to talk to a man who I think deserves a movie made about him, Dewey Bozella. Very humble to have him on. I'll try to do my best, guys, interviewing him. Thank you so much for uh, listening, and uh, yeah, stay tuned for the interview. I'm in the city right now, and I mean, yeah, we're just on complete lockdown. Like, we're not allowed to leave our homes at all. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Is that your is that your daughter? Oh, that's your son. I apologize. <laughs> okay. Yeah, man. All right, we're here live with uh, Dewey Bozella. Um, the incredible story of Dewey Bozella. Champ, man, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to be on the podcast, man. Thank you, man, for having you. Oh, of course, of course. Um, you know, when it comes to your story, it's not, it's, it's, it's hard for me to like really put into words just how in awe I am of you and how, you know, how much you, uh, you inspire me and everything. So, um, you know, for those of you who, for, we're going to start from the beginning of your life. Uh, where were you born? Brooklyn, New York. Oh yeah, what year? Oh yeah, What was Brooklyn like back then? Huh? What was Brooklyn like back then? Oh, it was uh, where uh, the families were able to leave their doors open, mm-hmm. and you know, you could walk around and just like you know, practically uh, feel free about what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we just had one curse word. That was like three or four beatings. You know, <laughs> the way our neighbor. <laughs> so I come up from a little different era, you know, of how times were. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 I liked it. I liked that time you know, because now, you know, you have to leave the door open and people have to come inside your house, you know, and neighbors, you know, look at the neighbors, you know. It's like an African thing, you know, that one person looked up for the whole track. <laughs> you know, so that's what I liked about it back then. I mean, it's just so different than today, you know? I mean, like, I, the idea of leaving my door open, I would never do that. Are you crazy? <laughs> Wait, you had chickens. You had chickens in your backyard. <laughs> okay. getting behind the you had chickens like that i've never i've lived in new york city for five years i haven't seen a farm animal in, <laughs> in so long that's crazy man <laughs> yeah, yeah that's how it was man that's how it was for me uh, but i was a kid though yeah i was uh thinking about nine at that time okay eight going on eight going on nine years old you know so life life was a little different for me mm-hmm. you know uh Yeah. You know, so, you know, I had my sister Janice who didn't work. Yeah. You know. 
And as time went along, I found out that I had another brother and two other sisters. Wow. You know? Now, the beginning of your life is so tragic. Is uh, You watched your father beat your mother, correct? Yes, I did. Yeah. And um, I mean, you know, so, you know, but life took a quick turn. What happened was that my father, I don't know what kind of man he really was, you know, but uh, he was Italian, white, and um, my mother was black. For some reason, you know, he was just very aggressive and, uh, you know, uh, came home and one day, and he just he was beating up on my mother, and I did the best I could do for a kid. I ran over and grabbed him by the leg to try to stop him. He just threw me across the room out of the rag doll and continued to beat my mother, uh, beat her up. And then after, after that, I went to force the home group on because he said she died. Wow. And uh, yeah. so right after that, you, you, went to, uh, you went to foster care, correct? Yes, I did. Uh, like maybe close to a year later. Wow. I would say that you know, I was with my brothers, and um, finally they put me and my brothers together, and we moved out of 995 Evergreen Avenue out in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so it was me, Alvin, Michael, Leon, and, and Ernie, and also my my other my other brother, which his name is Maurice, you know, but he's still my brother to the day, you know. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't my biological brother, but he's my brother still to the day. It's almost unbelievable for me. To like hear your story, you grew up so fast. You know, do you do you think about that? How you really didn't have a childhood? I had no. Listen, uh, like like I said, you know, they were just rough for me. That's why I had to accept it, whether I like it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, because I was put in the spot it, and I was supposed to be in the spot it, and I was put in the spot it, and I learned how to, I didn't know how to fight fast and in the hurry. Right. You know. Uh, you had to adapt in a way. You had to adapt to the environment you were born in. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 And then the catch, I was never in a gang. You were never in a gang, ever. Never in a gang, but they accepted me. Wow. They accepted me because they knew I was a loner and they knew I carried myself and they knew I was fight. Yeah. And that's, that's a company that respected me. Now let's talk about, let's talk about how you knew how to fight. When did boxing enter your life? This is a boxing podcast. When did boxing enter your life? Boxing entered in my life, man, when I got off a dare. Okay. It was off a dare. I was, uh, you know, people knew me for always fighting on the streets. Yeah. And uh, so a dude said, man, you know, I was, um, uh, I was just having to move up to Poughkeepsie, New York. Mm-hmm. I was uh, 16, just turned 17, going on 18. Yeah. And, uh, you know, God told me, man, you weren't going to no floor pass and boxing camp. You don't have the heart. I said, yeah, you know. So I went up there. And he kept, I bought a guy by the name of Danny Chapman. Danny Chapman was maybe number one in the world, and I did not know it. I did not know it. Anyway, you know, I lied to Floyd Patterson, told Floyd Patterson had a few fights, and Floyd Patterson put me out with Danny Chapman. Mm-hmm. So I went out there with Danny Chapman, and uh, Danny Chapman, I caught him with a lucky right hand. <laughs> he was a kid, I caught him with a right hand, and I stung him. And Floyd said, cut loose. When he cut loose, he didn't hit me to the face. Wow. One time, he was in the body. And uh, at that time, you know, I was like, you know, working out and everything. 
you know, and I was doing my running. And when he hit me to the body, he hit me in a way where it knocked the air out of him. Wow. So when he knocked the air out of me, he went to the first, he went to the right side, then he went to the left side. And the first time, I said, oof, the second time, the mouthpiece came out. And so when he was going to hit me the third time, the bell rang. And when the bell rang, I got the hell up out of the way. <laughs> You didn't know. <laughs> oh. Why would what? Can I ask you something? Why would Floyd Patterson put you in the ring against the number one rated amateur in the world? <laughs> well, because the simple fact is the way I look, the way my body was shaped, and the way the, the way that I you know, presented myself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you know, so you know, he said, "Okay, here, let me see what you got." <laughs> I gotta ask, man. Uh, <laughs> I got what I asked. Yeah, you got what you asked for. You got what you asked for. Uh, what kind of man was Floyd Patterson? Did you guys have a good relationship together? Well, Floyd, well, let me, let me tell you something. This is a true story. Uh, Floyd took me with his son, Tracy Patterson. Great fighter. Uh, to, yeah, yeah. He took me down to a fight out in New Jersey. Uh, so that's how, like, you know, I was in the club. I was in the club for a couple months, for a few months. And, he, and they had fights coming up. Mm-hmm. So I went with Floyd down to uh, uh, New Jersey. And when we got down to New Jersey, uh, first of all, let me explain something. There was a guy who I was sparring with. Yeah. And I'm not prejudiced. Please, I'm not prejudiced. It was a white guy. And uh, me and him was going at it. So uh, he was getting ready for a fight. So Floyd had me sparring with him and everything. And uh, I can't remember his name right now. Anyway, um... I mean, it was fun, but he had way more fights than me. Way, way, way more fights than me. Way more experience. So, me and him was fun, and uh, he told me after we were sparring, he said, you know, I took it easy on you. I said, uh, I want you to know something. If you come back, you ain't going to be able to take it easy on him. So, because, you know, not to take anything away from him, God really could fight. He was a golden world champion and everything. So, uh, we, went, we went down to Jersey, and he had a fight down there, and he pulled a guy from Jersey. He lost by decision. But the guy that he fought, they, I mean, they really went at it. So when I went down there with Floyd, there was something that happened. I was so much into the fights and watching the fights that they left me. Oh, they, they, they left you in New I, Jersey. 
I'm always out of Jersey. And I, and I, at that time, I'm living in Poughkeepsie, New York. <laughs> so that's like, a, like an hour ride from, from New Jersey. Yeah. And what happened was, was that when it was all over with, and I'm standing there, I said, where's Floyd? You got so much I got into the fight. I said, where's Floyd? They're gone. And uh, Floyd realized that he had left me no more than about half an hour later. <laughs> and I, He's like, why is this car suddenly quieter? Oh, shit. <laughs> right. He said, there's somebody missing. There's somebody missing. There's somebody missing. So Floyd came all the way back to get me. Mm -hmm. When he came wow. all the way back to get me, I was hitchhiking, by the way. I was raising hitchhiking yeah. you know, when it was old. And when he came back to get me, you know, I, 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 said, I said to myself, okay, I'm going to get home. I'm not worried about it. I'm going to hitchhike back home. Mm -hmm. It's a different time. <laughs> it's a different time. Came back to get me. That really, that really uh, showed me something about Floyd Patterson. Yeah, that showed me not only what he's interested in his fighters, he was also interested in people as a person. I mean, and I, said, and I looked at him way, way, way different. Uh -huh. I looked at him like, you know, man, you, you, you know, you didn't even have to come back for me. You could have just kept right on going. Mm -hmm. You know, and he showed me the instinct of people and they showed me that he had a good heart and from that day forward you know that's when I that's when I that's when I really fell in love with boxing right I like, you know so it was it was a very 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 good learning experience and it made me you know dedicate my life to it now we're gonna we've come upon this we'll touch back with Floyd Patterson in a sec but we've come upon the uh, part of your life um that you're most known for which is your time in prison um, when when did you first learn about this crime that you didn't commit? Um, that was back in 1977. Yeah, I was 17, just turned 18. Wow. Um, I was I was locked up for a crime I did not commit. First of all, mm -hmm. what happened was that I was walking I was walking down the uh, the main street of Poughkeepsie, New York, and the police officer came and arrested me. And when he arrested me, he said, "You're arrested for the crime of murder." Just like that, just like that, he picked you up for murder. Yeah, no, 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 we're taking you down to prison. Okay. You know? So, what happened? This is what happened. He said, You're arrested. I said, What's your Yeah, right. so they put me in the car and everything. I get down to prison, you know, and they said, uh, They brought a tape recorder in the room. And when they brought a tape recorder in the room, they said, uh, They cut it on. They said, You're arrested. I said, Arrested for what? You're arrested for the crime of murder. Murder? Murder for what? And Mr. Holder Murray was Jamal Crasper. I said, Jamal Crasper? I said, I looked at them like they all lost their damn mind. But, you know, like, yo, go ahead, man, get out of here. You know what I mean? Well, you know, you got to confess, confess to the crime of murder. I said, I ain't confessing to nothing. I ain't doing no damn murder. Did you ask for a lawyer? Yeah, no, no, I didn't have a lawyer. Mm. He said, the baby boy, he dead as the guy who murdered my brother. So I picked up the, uh, the tape recorder and I threw it across the room. I said, I ain't telling you nothing, man. You didn't make me tell you that I did this murder. I ain't telling you nothing. So then they, they kept me, you know, because I, I, I'm admitted I wasn't no goody-goody. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't take no crap. The reason why I didn't take no crap is because my brother Ernie just got murdered. He got stabbed to the heart. Wow. You know, through a guy, Stanley Jackson, who I just fought. I got to a fight with him, and I beat him up. And when I beat him up, he didn't go after me, he went after my brother. He stabbed my brother in his death. You know, 
And that's how I got introduced to Poughkeepsie, New York, because my older brother, you know, that I was, you know, that I was explaining, you know, that I, I, I got to know a little later, you know, as I got older, you know, um, that my mother was talking about, I had another brother and three other sisters. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. So he took me and brought me to Poughkeepsie, you know, to keep me out of trouble. And the next thing I know, I'm a best of familiar. I wasn't taking no crap. So I was a guy that was caught that was fighting on the streets. Right. You know, so that was my case. I ain't taking no crap. You try to act like you would have hurt me, I'm going to whip your ass. Yeah. Plain Excuse my language. Plain and simple. So I was, I was a guy who was known for not taking no crap. Anyway, um, I wasn't even in the town no more than three or four months. And I got arrested for that crime. Wow. And when I got... When I got arrested for it, hey, yo, man, hey, man, you got the wrong guy. I'm not trying to hear that, you know. So they, uh, they kept me in jail for a little while. And to where the judge said, listen, you, you, you got to let this man go. You know, you, do you have anything to prove that he did it? And so the judge said, keep the case dismissed. So that's about the 1977. So you're, you're, you're in the clear right now. The, the case has been dropped. You're in the clear. Okay. For six and a half, for six and a half years. Okay. Uh, the case reopened. Uh, I was 18, no, not a little, little while older, 24. They re-arrested me for the crime of murder, uh, Ms. J.M. McCrasper. I was 23, excuse me, I was 23, just turned 24. Mm-hmm. And um, a guy by the name of uh, uh, the Mars Smith, and, and uh, uh, Wayne Mosley, uh, who was doing time, they made a deal with the prosecutor's attorney to testify against me. Um, and both of them were doing time. And they needed a collaborating witness. The collaborating witness was uh, Stanley, Stanley Smith, the Mars Smith brother. And uh, so that's what really got me convicted. But not one single shred of evidence. So they, so they didn't have any physical evidence. They just took the word of two people... Um, who were already in jail. Yes. Wow. But the other guy, which was uh, Stanley Smith, which was uh, Lamar's Smith brother, that's what, that's what got me convicted. Mm-hmm. You know, one swing of that Nothing pointed to me. Nothing was done on me at all. And you went to trial and you were found guilty? I went to trial and I was found guilty, but not one swing of that evidence. And I was sentenced 20 years of life. How in I was, like I said, I was 24. I was 23, just turned 24. Mm-hmm. And you got a 20-year sentence, 20 years to life. 20 years to life. 20. And when the judge said it, I just fell out of the courtroom and started crying. Wow. And I said, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Y'all got the wrong man. Y'all got the wrong man. And what happened was it made me turn into a guy that was like, you know, a guy that was... Had, that had a good heart to a cold heart. I didn't care. I didn't care. I said, I don't care who you are. I don't care what color you are. I don't care how big you are. I don't give a damn about nothing. Don't put your hands on me. I was like on a suicide mission. Yeah. You know, if you if you if you try to hurt me, we're gonna fight to the death. I don't care. And, and so uh, I I went from from where I was at downstate to uh, Sing Sing State Penitentiary. And when I got to Sing Sing, Sing Sing was swing swing. And what I mean by that was uh, 
anything and everything was in there. What do you mean by that? Well, first and foremost, they had drugs, wow. they had prostitution, the women seals were selling themselves, uh, the guys who were gay were, were, were fair game. You know, I was I was in a place that was a madhouse. Wow. How did you... When I say that, when I say madhouse, I mean exactly that. Mm-hmm. Everything and anything goes. You better find a way to survive. And the thing about it, I didn't have nobody. You were alone? I didn't have nobody. I was alone. Mm-hmm. I didn't have, everybody turned their back on me. Why did they I turn your back on you? Because I got convicted for killing a old woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, I ain't had no family, I ain't had no friends, I ain't had nobody. When I walked in, I walked in literally by myself. That's so true. my attitude was, my attitude was, I don't care who you are, I don't care what color you are, don't put your hands on me because we're fighting to the death. Did, that was my attitude. Did, uh, that's, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's incredible. We're just at the beginning of this story with uh, Dewey Bozella here. <laughs> Did you, did Floyd Patterson ever visit you at all in prison, or did he reach out to you at all? No, he did not, because yeah. he didn't know I was out. I never wrote him, I never said a word to him. Do you think he would have if he did? I never wrote him, I was ashamed. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even, I, what, you know, I don't even want to talk about it, you know, when it comes down to Floyd. Maybe he could have done something, maybe not, I don't know, I just, I, I was, I just thought that was on my home. Okay. So you're on your own. So you're on your own. You're in Swing Swing. You're in Sing Sing Prison. Uh, did you? What was? When did boxing in prison enter your life? Well, this is what happened. Uh, I'm running around. First of all, uh, Sing 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 was definitely going Swing Swing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm running around, and I had an attitude on my chip, you know, on my shoulder, and. Uh, you know, um, I got to find a way to survive. I got no family. I got nobody. So, uh, what happened, I didn't join no gang. I never was in a gang. Um, so, what happened was, was that, I, well, well, the first few months, I was analyzing things of how I can, you know, really get up off my feet and how can I, you know, make money and how can I support myself, you know, stuff like that. So, what I did is I went, I worked in the mess hall. And when I got in the mess hall, uh, you know, I like everybody else, I started stealing meat. You know, I, first of all, I went and got a certificate uh, so I could be a certified cook. And uh, being a bat, you know, I can uh, be able to take the things that are necessary to help me survive. So, you know, I started, I started, you know, taking meat out of the refrigerator, you know, and I was selling in population, mm-hmm. you know, and those things like that. So I just found a way to survive, you know, without getting involved in the drug game or, That's actually, I mean, for those of you who have to go to prison, would that be a good job as working in the kitchen? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, that that helps you, you know, to be able to get uh, uh, meat, Mm -hmm. it helps you to get uh, cooking sauce, it helps you to get anything that you needed to survive inside the state penitentiary was inside the uh, facility. So I became the cook assistant. Wow. I mean, so what happened was that I, you know, I took a test. I went to a program, and after I went to the program, uh, I passed the test and everything, and then I became the cook assistant. Okay. The cook, dug the, up. the cook just dug the hell out of me. So he said, Dewey, I didn't see you. You know, whatever you take, just remember, if you get caught, it wasn't me. I didn't give you anything. You gotta deal with that on your own. So, hey, man, no problem. 
she when he when he did what he did to me, it has made me understand the game a lot more different. Right. You know, because what do I mean by that was was that I went out there and I and I got him and I hit him with a, what I consider a lucky punch. And when I stung him, you know, his name was Dan Chapman. So when I stung him, she uh boy said, Cut loose. And so the way he cut loose, it was it wasn't the fact that I was scared and anything like that. It was the way he cut loose because I wasn't suspecting it. You know, I'm like doing five dollars past seven to day. Five times ten cents a day is me I'm doing jumping jacks, sit up, push ups, you know, dips, chin ups, you name it, I'm really I'm I, I felt I was really in shape. Mm-hmm. I thought that's what I felt. But what happened was was that he uh came up to me and he didn't even hit me in the face. I'm looking for a, a, a face punch. He hit me with two body shots. The first body shot, you know, stunned me. The second body shot knocked the wind out of me. And when it knocked the wind out of me, you know, it spit the mouthpiece out of my mouth. And when, and here's the catch. I'm like maybe about 190 pounds. And Danny Chapman was only a, a, a Walter weight. Walter weight. And so, when he hit me with the first body shot, it knocked the, it, it knocked the air out of me. The second body shot made me stick a mouthpiece out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. And then, right, he, the bell said, ding, he was about to hit me the third time. And, you know, thank God he didn't, because I don't know what would have happened. Mm-hmm. But, when the bell rang, no, I'm telling you the God on the truth. When the bell rang, and here's the catch, I'm 23 going on 24 years old. Check that out. Yeah. And so, when, when the bell rang, I got, I, 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 I didn't even pick up my mouthpiece. I just walked out the ring. <laughs> I said, where you going? Where you going? Where you going? And I said, I'm, I'll be right back, Floyd. He said, where you going? Where you going? I said, no, Floyd, I'm all right. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not quitting. Don't worry about it. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> So I, I, I left my mouth there and, and, and I got up out of the ring. When I got up out of the ring, the first thing I said to myself was, yo, them are all these body shots you need to hit you to the face. Mm-hmm. You, gotta take, you gotta take this a little bit more serious. Now. Yeah. You gotta take this a more serious. How serious did you yeah. take boxing in prison? No, no, that's what I'm trying to explain to you. Yeah. That's when I that's when I realized, that's when I realized when I got to jail, I was a little bit more way, I was a little bit more better than what I was when I got to four guys in boxing camp. Right. And uh it, it just it just it just gave me a better analogy of how I had to look at myself as a human being. I said, yo, either you wanna do this or leave this alone. Right. And that's what I asked myself when I got out the way. Either you wanna do this or leave this alone. I said, I'm going to do it. I said, I'm going to do it. I looked at Danny, and then Floyd, Floyd said, there's nothing to be ashamed of. You know, do you know who you just went out there with? No, I had no idea who I just went out there. That's Danny Chapman, really number one in the world. Hmm. So, <laughs> so how many fights in prison did you have in total, in, in boxing? I had 11, one loss. You were eleven and one. Yeah, and that one loss. That one loss was uh, to a guy uh, who went on the head and knocked out. Uh, knocked, knocked, knocked out. He knocked down. He 
his name was Luda Bobby. Mm-hmm. And he was the first to knock down Roy Jones. And he, had, like, he was unifying the title with Roy Jones. Roy mm-hmm. Jones Jr. Mm-hmm. How tough was that? How, t- how back and forth was that fight? Well, me and him, I, I won the first round. I yeah. won the first round, and the second round, the second round he gave me a cut over the eye. And we called it the blood coming straight out of my eye. Uh, that's the reason why they stopped the fight. Otherwise, I'd have knocked his ass out. I think I'd have knocked him out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, I was, winning the I was winning the fight, but the blood, you know, I got careless. What happened was, let me give you an example. The first round I beat him, the second round I came out, and, and, I, and I said, I'm going to take him out. And what happened was, I got careless and I walked to a three punch combination. Hit me with a, a, a right jab, a left, a left, left cross, and then, a, and, a, and then I think it was a straight, a straight, a straight jab. And a straight jab, the way he turned the punch, uh, gave me a cut over the eye. Wow. So, so the three combination. Were you wearing headgear? I was going to say No, but were you... Yeah, but were you wearing headgear? Yeah. Yeah, and he cut one. And he still gave me a cut. He still gave me a cut over the eye. That's incredible. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So the blood came straight down my eye. Mm-hmm. And uh, the referee seen it. So it's down on the side of my eye, coming down on my nose. And he said, uh, I'm about to start the fight. I said, yo, man, give me 10 more seconds. Let me just go all out. Let me go all out. And uh, he said, no, I'm sorry, man. I got to stop the fight. Mm-hmm. And so, Lou came up to me. And I said, Lou came to me. He said, yo, man, usually I go wild, man. Usually I go wild. I just, I just wild out. I said, yo, lucky. I said, you're lucky because if you didn't, if you didn't give me the cut of the eye, I was going to get you, man. I was going to get you. I was going to get you. And, um, but I gave him a lot of respect after that. But then he went on ahead and he won the WBC World Championship. And that's what made me so proud. I said, I fought a man who, who went on ahead and won the World Championship. So I know he was a full of baloney. Mm-hmm. That made me feel good. Mm-hmm. The first round, I was the first man to knock down Boy Jones Jr. And you would have. So, in a sense. So, in a sense, if, since you were going to beat. Uh, this guy, you could have beaten Roy Jones. I, I put you like this. I already knew how I was going to fight Roy Jones Jr. Mm-hmm. I was going to fight Roy Jones Jr. Like, I, like, like uh, 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 I know he was quicker and faster and sharper. But I said, he, he, I'm going to fight him like I'm a, like Roberto Durant. I'm coming after you. Wow. I'm not playing no games. I'm going to fight you hard, strong. I don't care if I get the black eye, a busted lip. I'm here to fight. I'm here to fight. And if you ain't here to fight, there's no way you're going to beat me. Okay. I don't care. I already know. I already know that you're quick. I already know that you're sharp. I already know that you have a good punch. I said, but I'm here to, to break you down. I'm not here to, I'm here to fight. I'm not here to box you. I'm not here to, you know, to try to make this fight pretty. I'm here to look ugly. I'm here to take black eyes and busted lips. So whatever you throw it, whatever you throw it, I hope to God you can take what you dish out because I'm coming like that. I'm not trying to be a technical fighter. I'm here to rumble in the story. I'm gonna fight Roberto Duran. I'm gonna fight Tommy Hearns. I'm gonna fight man. You're gonna have to fight me. I'm here to fight Aaron Pryor. I'm I'm bringing everything. I'm bringing the guns. I'm bringing everything. And I'm and, and the thing about it, you better be in shape because I'm throwing. Everything. I'm going to kiss the seat. This is what I'm going to fight for the next four rounds. So how many, 
how many opportunities were you given in, while in prison to, um, to be let out if you just admitted to this murder? Well, first and foremost, uh, well, I went to two trials. And on the second trial, the first trial I lost, the second trial, they offered me, uh, first, the first, when the, when the trial was over with, uh, the judge said, well, this is going to be over with, with uh, they'll come back with a not guilty verdict in about an hour. So when the prosecutor's attorney heard about it, he uh, came with a deal. He said, um, this is, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to offer you uh, a manslaughter. So you have eight to third to 25. You already got, you already got six and a half years in, and you've received the parole, no, excuse me. Uh, you got seven and a half years in, and you received the parole board in six months. I said, no, I didn't take the deal. So then they came back the second time, and they said, this man is supposed to be due to what we call time served. All you got to do is admit to, the, admit to the crime, tell us how you did it, and you'll be able to go home, you know, walk right out the courtroom. I said, no. So the third time they came back, and they said, this man is supposed you don't have to say anything. We do what we call a scenario awful plea. All you got to do is just sign a piece of paper and walk out the courtroom right now at this very moment. I said, no. I'm not telling you anything. I didn't do it. So right, right before they was ready to give me the, the, the deal, right, I said, and I didn't say anything. And then uh, the, uh, the jury came out, and they said, this really is all you got to do is just admit to the crime. And just, just sign a piece of paper and walk out the courtroom right now. And I didn't say anything. And then the jury came back on the second trial and said, listen, we found you guilty of the murder was jam of Bastard. I ain't even take it the way I ain't even I ain't even take it as hard as that took it the first time. You didn't take it that hard, the second guilty. You didn't you you just accepted it. I I, I just like you know, I said I live by the law, but don't let the ask me to trust it. Mm-hmm. I'll never law as long as I'm alive. And I still feel that way to the day. Mm-hmm. I still feel that way. Because if they really want you, I don't care who you are, if they really want you, you know, you're going to jail. Yeah. You're going to jail. They don't worry about the consequences later. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, like, that's, that's, that's just how it is. That's with anybody. I don't care who you are. You know, guys, if they really want you, they will make sure that they got you. They will make sure that they got you. You know, and then, you know, you got to deal with the consequences later. They're worried about that. That's how I was. Is it, you know? is so, uh, in fact, let me explain something to you. The second trial was so bad that they offered me, you know, what we said. They said, Mr. Mozilla, we'll give you, we'll give you uh, a manslaughter in the 3025. You know, you see the parole board in six months. I said, no. Okay, Mr. Mozilla, uh, we'll give you what we call uh, head sir. All you got to do is make it a crime and you're ready to go home. No. And it's okay, Mr. Mazzella. This is very, 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 very rare. We don't do this. We, they were going to give me what they call a scenario offer plea. All you got to do is just sign a piece of paper and walk out the courtroom and you don't have to say anything. I looked down like they were crazy. The jury came back with a uh, guilty verdict. Mm-hmm. And when they came back with a guilty verdict, I just looked at them like, yo, y- 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 y'all got to be kidding me. Not one single shred of evidence pointed to me. Hmm. Nothing. Everything pointed to someone else. You, you got to be kidding. Hmm. You got to be kidding. Was it? The girl, um, who tested, the girl, 
Let me explain something. The girl who testified against me the first time testified for me the second time. He said, listen, the only reason why I got up on the stand and, and testified against this man because I wanted to get my, uh, my, my man out of jail. But I want you to know I committed perjury. I lied. Wow. Wayne Mo, uh, Lamar Smith, he did the same thing. Listen, man, the only reason why I got up on the stand and testified against this man was because of civil factors is I want to get my brother out of jail. Now that I got my brother out of jail, I want you to, I'm all, I want you to know I committed perjury. I lied. And the girl got up on the scene and said, listen, man, it wasn't him who committed the murder. It was my old man who committed the murder. They went back inside the house, found his fingerprints, and, and they still found me guilty. And after and all that... Oh my. They found this, but they never found one single shred of evidence that said I committed the murder. <laughs> so... She got up and said it was him who committed the murder. And they found this fingerprints inside the house, and they still found me guilty. Um, did you, man? I, I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes here. It's I'm finding it so hard. I mean, you 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 lived like this in, incredible life, and and on top of all that, was this wasn't this around the time when you forgave the man who murdered your brother? Yeah, well, well, this is what happened. Uh, uh, the guy who murdered my brother in 1977. After my second trial, uh, and I got found guilty again, 20 years to life, I went back to Sing Sing or Correctional Conservative. And when I got back to Sing Sing, I went down to the chapel area. When I got down to the chapel area, there's a guy who murdered my brother. And I said, you've got to be kidding me, man. I said, you've got I said, yo, come on, Lord. You've got to be kidding me, man. You've got to be kidding me. So uh, for the next three days, uh, I thought everything out. Uh, and there was people inside the penitentiary who knew that he murdered my brother. And so I'm seeing seeing my heavyweight champion. So they know I'm not a punk. They know I'm a fight. You know, everybody know I can fight, you know. And, you know, so uh, after three days, I come up out of my cell. And uh, I go down to what we call the flats, A gallery. And when I got down to A gallery, everybody's ready to go to school and everything. And we got three tiers. Three tiers. That, you know, people are looking down because they say, yo, there's a guy who murdered um, you know, dude's brother. You know, oh, they, they're like, oh, shit, oh, I know about the breakthroughs, oh, I know about the breakthroughs. So, you know, because the word got out that, you know, there's a guy who murdered my brother. So I walk up to him and I said, yo, man, listen, man, can I talk to you for a minute? He said, yeah, sure. You know, we went around the corner away from the OIC office with the correctional officer's office, and we went around and, um, Oh. So 
story that the word got out to everybody inside the penitentiary. You know, like, oh, man, damn, man, yo, man. Yo, he gave me to that murder's brother, man. I don't, I don't know if I could do that, man. I don't know if I could do that. You know, damn, that was some strong the wall. So, you know, and then that, but that only, that only entailed what kind of person it was. Mm-hmm. Even inside the joke. You know what I mean? I could be forgiven to the God murder my brother, and I told everybody to leave me alone. You know, cause they know I wasn't no punk. They know I was no pussy. They know I wasn't no coward. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that at all. You know, it was just like, how can you do that? You know? And then to leave him alone. You know? Now, he's kept under his security. So if I wanted to have something done, it could have been done. Right. And then he gets sick. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like that. I said, this is the reality of the situation. I said, how could I ask anybody to forgive me if I don't forgive him? Wow. How can I, how can I ask anybody to give me a chance in life if I don't give him a chance? How, how can I ask anybody to believe in my story and what kind of person I am if I can't forgive him at a time of adversity? I'm talking all this shit about helping people, forgiving people, and, and being the right type of person, I'm giving all these type of talks. But now, because I got, I got 52 certificates, sir. I got, I got human development, substance abuse. I got all the alternatives to violence. I got all these things, you know, to, to, to say and do. But at a time of adversity, can you really live it out? And that's what I thought about for the three days that I was in my cell. And I said to myself, I said to myself, you know what? Excuse my language, and I hope that I am not saying things improper. Yeah. Fuck the jailhouse, the mentality. Yeah. Fuck their room. I don't care, man. You know, and the jailhouse mentality is, yo, you better get him. You murdered your brother. You better do something. You're a punk. You're a coward. You're a pussy. You're a faggot. And everything else that go along with it. And the street cold mentality is, yo, man, he murdered your brother. You better do something. You're a coward. You're a punk. You're a pussy. Yo, man. This, yo, man. In, in the penitentiary life, yo, yo, we don't even want to hear it. You better do something. Throw a bar soap at him. Do something. I said, man, the hell with your goddamn rules. I don't care nothing about your rules. That's why I went up in my cellar and throw this thing out for three days. You know, this ain't got nothing to do with y'all. This between me, him, and God. Right. If you don't like it, you know you know I am. You know how to fight. And I will whip your ass. <laughs> I'll make sure your mother won't recognize you tomorrow morning. <laughs> die, that's your goddamn problem. I mean, that, I think no matter what you've accomplished, I think that's the one of the most incredible things I've ever heard on this podcast, that you forgave the man who murdered your brother. i got to be honest, I don't know if I could do that if someone murdered my sibling. So... A true story, sir. It was a true story. Yeah. And everybody, the word got out. A block, B block, pipe pan, you know, the word got out. Mr. Yo, man, listen, I don't know if you could, I could have done that. I said, the only reason why I did this, man, I'm going to ask anybody, here's the key, here's the key, sir. I'm going to ask anybody to forgive me if I can't forgive him. Right. Right. I took a, I took a turn of the violence. I took human development. I took all these different types of classes, man. That, that, that says that I'm supposed to be able to deal with this, but at time of adversity, can you really live it out? Mm-hmm. It's a test. 
That's what God was saying. Here's your test. Let me see if you really change. Let me see what kind of person you really are. Because mm-hmm. when you first got him out of jail, you said you would murder him. Listen to the word I said. You said you would murder him if he ever come inside here. Well, let me see how much you change. That was eight years later, sir. Mm. Okay. So, all the classes I took, all the classes I took, all the things I took, that's why I'm going to sign myself. I throw everything out for three days. And there he is. Let's talk about those. Let's, let's talk about those classes you took. Didn't you get a bachelor's and a master's degree in college, in uh, in prison? Yeah, I got fifty-two certificates. Uh, you know, and I went and I got my bachelor's. Bachelor's of science. I got my master's in seminary Well, first, I just want to say congratulations on all that. Uh, I have a bachelor's degree in theater, so you're doing much better than me. Uh, um, uh, so, when did the Innocence Project enter your life? Uh, well, let me put you like this. In, in 1990, after I got my second trial, I went to trial in 1983, lost, and then I got another trial in 1989 and lasted for 1990. Mm-hmm. And in 1990, I got resentenced in my uh, 20 years of life. From 1990 all the way to uh, 2003, I went to my first parole board, which is 20 years later. And uh, I got a I got, uh, two-year hit. Two-year hit means that uh, if I couldn't go to the parole board and tell them that, you know, I'm going to mention the nature of the crime, they're going to give me two more years. Two more, two, uh, two-year hit means I got two more years added on to my sentence. Wow. And then, uh, and then two more years went by from 2003 to 2005, which made uh, 22 years. I went to another parole board. This time when I went to the parole board, 2005, I had a bachelor's degree, bachelor's of science, uh, and I had 52 certificates. And the 52 certificates, you name it, I took it. I took each and every program that they had, and I had three different types of trades. And um, this time, when I went to the parole board, it came to two more years. And this time, I didn't take it as well as I took it the first time. And I was saying to myself, what is it I got to do to get the hell out of here? I got 52 certificates and a bachelor's degree, a bachelor's of science. And I said, yo, man, I have been out of trouble. I became what they became, a, a role model or inmate, you know. Um, I've been out of trouble for years, um, you know, out of teaching classes, I was involved in every type of academic things you could think of. And uh, in fact, I even had uh, a, a certificate where I became the assistant cook inside our sensei. And, uh, you know, I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching classes inside there, everything. So I'm like, a, you know, I'm like a robot. Yeah. And uh, so I went, I went into what they call special housing unit. You know, before the second hit, I didn't take too well. You know, I was saying to myself, I got 22 years in there and I'm going to never get out of here, man. I'm going to never get out of jail. You know, these people ain't going to never let me go because I will not admit guilt. I will not tell. I said, I'd rather die in prison than tell them I did. If they want me to tell them I did it, then I'm going to die in prison. I'm going to die in prison. So when I, I, I went up to the special housing unit and I just like, you know, got everything out of me. I, I cried like a baby, you know. And I, I thought about my life. I said, yo, man, I lost my mother. My 
Dion, he died of AIDS. You know, um, I mean, they're by myself. You know, I don't know my sisters. You know, man, what the hell is it, what the hell is it gonna take me to get out of jail, man? I even forgave his brother who murdered my brother. You know, what I gotta do to prove to myself that I didn't do this crime? So, uh, when I got out, when I got out of the box, I got all that pain and that anger out of me. I got out of the box, which was a special housing unit, and uh, I went and I got into a master's degree. I went and got into a master's degree program, uh, which is New York Theological Seminary, professional studies dealing with religion. And then I graduated and got my master's degree. And uh, then matter of fact, I got my master's degree. I went to the parole board, and they gave me two more years. That's three times I was sitting at the parole board. And uh, so this time, I got 52 certificates, I got my bachelor's and my master's degree, and uh, they just wasn't gonna let me go. So I made up my mind. I said, yo, man, if they wait for me to tell them I did it, man, I'm just gonna die in prison. Mm -hmm. I didn't even care about the parole board no more. So when I went to the, when I went to the, after I went to that, I went to a special parole board in 2008. And uh, when I went to the special parole board in 2008, uh, what happened was, was that, uh, Again, you know, I said, yo, come on, man, what all pain I got to go through, man? Oh, 
the people that we're looking for are either dead or gone. We can't find them. Um, we don't know what to do. I said, I did my exact words. And it was a gut feeling. I, it just came from nowhere. It must have been a spiritual feeling. I don't know. It just, it just came from out of nowhere. I said, um, do you all believe in me? They said, yeah. I said, do me a favor. Go see the, the rest of the police officer that arrested me. In, in 1977. No one, nobody wants to believe it. I said, but I'm telling you the God on the truth. Just go see him. He might have a change of heart now. You know? I said, it's been over 20-something years, man. I said, you know, uh, I was a kid. He told me that he was going to get me. Nobody wanted to believe that he was playing with me and everything. I said, just go see him. His name is Arthur Regular. Just go see him. Just, please, just go by and see him. Something in my heart is telling me, just go and see it. So, a little while went by, and they finally went by his house. When he went by his house, he was a lieutenant, a retired uh, lieutenant police officer of the, of the Gypsy Police Department. And when they went by to see him, uh, at first he was productive. And then he invited them in. And when he invited them in, uh, they asked him a question. Verbatim. They said, uh, do you have any recollection about Mr. Bozella's case? Yes, I do. Uh, what can you tell us about Mr. Bozella's case? He said, uh, I just want you to know, I kept Mr. Bozella's files at my house for the last 18 years. They looked at him like, are you supposed to keep Mr. Bozella's files in your house for the last 18 years? He said, no, I literally took Mr. Bozella's files 18 years ago and kept them in my house and when I kept in my house after I retired, I had it for the last 18 years. And I want you to know that these are the files that I, I had. And I always knew that one day someone would come talking about this man case. So here are his files. Inside the files are what they call radio material, residual material. Newly discovered evidence that proved that I did not commit murder. And they asked him, are you supposed to keep the files? And he said, no, I'm not. But I always knew, I always knew that someday someone would talk to me about this man case. Mm. That's and, and, and inside the files were uh, uh, four pieces of newly discovered evidence that proved I did not commit the crime. What were those pieces of evidence? Well, the first one was, was a next door neighbor who said, listen, I heard someone moving the garbage cans that night over towards the window. And the garbage can was right up underneath the window where uh, Donna Wise's fingerprints was found. The fingerprints was found inside the inside of the of the house window. That proved that someone climbed inside this window and was coming inside the window. And inside the trial, that's what it was, right? And the test was was that that was the only evidence that said that someone else committed the murder. And by the way, a girl by the name of Maladetta South got up on the stand and she said, listen, it wasn't that man who committed the murder, my old man. I know why it's told me she was the one who committed the murder. And we went and sold the, the stuff from out of, out of the house to a, uh, a person in Poughkeepsie Galleria. And we sold the stuff at this store, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, he was arrested, him and his brother, 
for the same type of murder of Ms. Jane McClashburg. Not only that, there was also another piece of evidence that was found that an old lady, she was beat up and gagged and tied the way Ms. Jane McClashburg was tied up and the way that she was tied up to another crime that was done the same way because it was like a serial, a serial like killer-like type thing, mm -hmm. right? And she said, she said that no, it wasn't, it wasn't them. This is what happened. She said, no, these are the two guys that, that, that guys and tied me and came inside my house and beat me up and took my stuff. So they would take civil types of murders and then beat up stuff going on the same way. So there was three of them. There was three of them. And what happened was, was that, uh, she made identification that it was them, and that that part was never brought up in trial. That was another piece of discovered evidence, right? And so everything pointed to them. Everything pointed to them. However, I was sentenced twenty years to life. They didn't even go after them no more because they was already uh, uh, arrested and sentenced um, to, to a life thing because one of the Crasper sisters, one of the Crasper sisters, died. And the other one got beat after that. And, and she was the one that kind of points and said, them are the ones that killed my sister. And so that's where they got sentenced to my lives. And then the other one that was beat up and, 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 and tied the same way, like, like Jam McCrasper and the King sisters. It was that, that also showed that, that uh, the, the murder that was done. By, and the other lady, the, the one that she was got inside, said this, the, the that's what made it like look like a serial thing. pieces of evidence. It really is. Yeah. All these all these years well, later. Um, I, hope you, I hope I'm breaking it down to where you get a, a better understanding. No, I mean, you, you really are. Um, so once you get these four pieces, once your lawyer's got these four pieces of evidence, um, how soon are you then released from prison? When I was in 2008. Yeah. 2008, when I finally went by they finally went by his house and he got the news covered evidence because he, he, he said, he said, he said, his steps, and this is on record, sir. This is on record. Everything I'm telling you is on record. He said, I, oh, this was his exact words. He said, I always knew one day someone would come talk to me about this man's case. So that's the reason why I kept these files at my house for the last 18 years. And he said, he said, he said, the reason why I kept them at my house because after after Donna Wise fingerprints was found inside the house, that's what made me say, I don't think this man did. Right. Because he kept, he's the one that arrested me for it. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, it's... yes, he kept the files at his house for eighteen years. That shows, like, I mean, if you ask me, that shows he kind of had a guilty conscience. He was just like, I shouldn't have arrested him. Yeah, so the same officer who arrested me is the same officer who gave me back my freedom. Man. And so when he gave me, when he gave me back my freedom, uh, 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 maybe before I go there, I, I, I just wanted to finish it off. So, in 2008, then I'm going to get back to Arthur Wright. And in 2008, uh, after they finished talking to him and everything, uh, they brought it before the judge. And the judge said, in 2009, October 27th, or 28, uh, after they put in the motion and everything, and the judge said, the district attorney, uh, is there anything that you would like to say about Mr. Dubois' case? He said, no, we have nothing to say, Your Honor. He said, I just want you to know the judge. But this is overwhelming evidence. I feel that this man would have had this in any one of the two trials would have been a different person. So, uh, the case is dismissed. Mm. And then, when the case was dismissed, when the case was dismissed, this time, when I cried, I didn't break down anything like that. I cried, I cried. Like tears of like, no one wanted to believe me, man. See, 32 years later, from 1977 all the way to 2009, October 28, no one wanted to believe me that I didn't commit this murder. 32 years later, my name finally got cleared. It's, it's, it's just so, I mean, do, do you, are you, do you, let me try, let me try to gather my thoughts here because your story is just so incredible. Um, what what's your relationship like with this police officer who released you now? Do you do do you, do you talk to him at all? No, no, no. We good. You good? I don't have no people. That's good. I don't have no people. If we were to see each other on the street, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I looked at him and said, "Hey, hello, how you doing?" Mm -hmm. You know, but I trust him. Hell no. I trust him. Hell no. But, <laughs> but you know, will I will I respect him? Of course, I respect him. Yeah. Of course, I respect. Him. You know what I mean? Oh, of course. Yeah. Did you? So what was the hardest thing to get used to once you were released on the outside? Once you were released, what was like the one thing you were like, oh, this is weird? People. People? Yeah. In what way? Learning how to really adjust back with people because, you know, penitentiary life is way different than society life, you know. Uh, people have no respect for each other. Not everybody. But a lot of people, you know, they, they don't know. You know, I, had, I had to change my, my prison mentality. My prison mentality was like, yo, you know, I had to rub up on me too long, don't come up on me too long. You know, I had to get that I had to get that out of me, man. Like the same way I had to adjust my life to the society of prison. I had to, I had to readjust myself back to society. You know, uh, you know, I'm gonna give you a good example. You know, I was up, I was out for about six months. I took the bus to the Poughkeepsie Galleria uh, for where I was living, uh, in, close to the town of Beacon, New York. And um, I took the bus over to the Poughkeepsie Galleria. When I got there, you know, uh, I just wanted to do a little bit of shopping and everything. You know, and it felt good to be free by myself. And here's the catch. Uh, I got up in there, 
and uh, I went to get something to eat, and I got some Chinese food. And when I got the Chinese food, I sat down, but I sat down in the corner, you know. And when I sat down, I was like, "Excuse my language. What the fuck are you doing?" And because I was looking around, I was looking around, I was looking around. Why you didn't trust the people around you in the restaurant? No, 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 no. This is a kitchen gallery. This is a, a, a gallery. Oh. You know, a mall. Yeah. A mall. I'm in the mall. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and I'm like, you know, the tables, you know, the tables that are out in the opening and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. So I, I like, I, I realized that, you know, what are you doing, man? <laughs> what are you, you don't have to be in a corner. You don't have to hide. You don't have to... You don't worry about sneaking or somebody sneaking up on you or nothing like that. Yeah. You free, man. <laughs> I put my guy up and I went out to the middle of the gallery and sat down in the middle of the gallery, man, and I bust out laughing. I mean, must have thought I was crazy. You know, I just bust out laughing, man. I said, oh, I just bust out laughing. I said, I'm free. I am free. I'm literally free, man. I'm free. And I sat down, and I was like, I was, I was happy. I was happy, man. I was like, yo, man. It took me six months to realize I'm free. I'm literally, really free. I'm not in the penitentiary. I don't have to live a penitentiary life. I had to let that go. Ain't nobody out here did nothing to me, man. Yeah, it's a prime time example, man. A lady walked up on me, man, and she bumped into me. I mean, she did it in such a nasty way, man, that it was like, I mean, it was like horrible. It was horrendous. And and, and if I didn't make that change on the spot, me and I would have been probably been beefing, man. <laughs> with, with this lady who bumped into you. <laughs> yeah, no, here's the catch. This is what I did. I swear to God, this is what I did. When she bumped into me, I said, excuse me, man. Oh, I said, excuse me, man, I didn't mean, I didn't mean that, I, my deepest apology. And she looked at me, she said, no, I'm the one that's wrong. I apologize I apologize to you. She said, no, I had a nasty attitude. I'm so sorry. I said, ma'am, I get it. And we, it, 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 was just, it was just a split second, a split second. To take the, 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 our old wiser brother taught me this. He said, the two second girl can cause your lifetime in misery. Yeah, I mean, you, it's, I, I, 
That's so great. I'm, I love the fact that this lady just apologized to you. That must have been just like a great feeling. <laughs> um, when did you learn that you were going to win the Arthur Ashe Award? Or how did you learn? Okay. Oh, this is what happened. This, you know, this is the crazy part, right? Um, uh, the Innocent Project uh, believed in me so much. But I was, at that time, I was in the uh, Newburgh Armory. Uh, I was in the Newburgh Boxing Gym. Mm-hmm. So I was going, you know, from where I was living, I was going up to the Newburgh Boxing Gym because, you know, I was helping the kids out. I was doing volunteer work at uh, Ray Rivera's gym. And uh, they heard about it. And so... Who's uh, they? Huh? Who heard about it? Uh, ESPN. Oh, ESPN, ESPN. did. Okay. So what happened was, was that the Innocent Project knew what I was doing. You know, because they was, you know, oh, you know, they was asked, you know, you know, cause they was, you know, like, you know, just interested in my life, you know, about what I'm doing. I said, I'm going to uh, Newburgh, you know, a boxing gym at Regal Reynolds, you know. So, for some reason, the Innocent Project... Uh, um, ESPN would talk to them about about uh, finding somebody they can you know get the Arthur Ashe Coach Award to you know and, you know so they told them about it and next thing I know I'm going up against three other major stars you know NBA players you know stuff like that and I'm like you know I, I, ain't, I ain't even thinking about winning this you know mm-hmm. I'm just I'm not even thinking about winning who are you up against and, I, I never asked him. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I'm telling you. I don't know. Yeah. That's how much I thought I was going to win. I, I, I'm not even thinking about this. Mm-hmm. I'm not even thinking about it. Two weeks later, a mother and a, and a young lady gave me a call. And they said, oh, you do your that? I said, yes. I said, oh. They said, listen, I just want you to know something. Uh, we're going to give you the Arthur Harris Coverage Award. So what the hell is Arthur Harris Coverage Award? <laughs> 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 You're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> that's the word. That's the word. That's how much I paid attention to it, sir. Oh, man. That's how much I paid attention to it. Only one of the highest honors in cable television, and you're like, what the hell is this? Uh, um, you know, I'm not lying to you, man. No, I believe you. And the people, and the people, uh, oh, Oh, they were like, yo, you know, they, 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 what's wrong with you? I said, I said, nah, I said, nah, I don't, you know, you know, I know Arthur Ash is, you know, but I don't know nothing about that. I don't know nothing. Listen, I never paid no attention to that. Right. Even when I was on the inside, I never paid no attention to it. I don't blame you. I never paid no attention to it. Yeah. So, uh, next thing I know, they tell me, uh, I'm coming home. They said, uh, Ms. Brazil, uh, you won.
wicked turn after that. Wow. And I was like, wow. This took a wicked turn, man. And I was like, next thing I know, I'm going to up. I'm on TV with about seven, eight million viewers. You know, oh, that's where I first saw you, by the way. That's where I was, uh, that was at the ESPN Awards. The ESPYs. Yeah. Yeah, so I asked you, bro. Let me tell you something. You, you know what? The first night, the first night, here's the catch. I'm uh, I'm at the party. All these NBAs, you know. Uh, I'm seeing all these people, man, you know, that I admire all. You know, like, wow. <laughs> it was funny, man, because, you know, uh, I was, I, was, I was standing next to all these superstars and all these basketball players, and, you know, and I was like, wow, man, the hell? They didn't know me. They didn't know that I was. I was a nobody to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the following night, after I received the award, you know, I'm taking pictures with, <laughs> with all these people. They're like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was so different. It was so different, you know. It was so different, you know. And uh, I felt happy about that. I felt proud about that. I was, you know, I said, you know, you know, thank you, Lord. You know, I appreciate, you know, I appreciate this. I really appreciate, you know, me being put on this pedestal, you know, where I had the chance to, you know, actually say something, you know. Um, if, it weren't for, if it weren't for the speech that I was talking about, I'd have said something totally different. <laughs> you know? I thought you gave a really good speech. I, I thought your speech was really, really good. How long did it take for you to rehearse it? Or to write it down? No, uh, uh, it was done overnight. It was done overnight. You did that all in one night? Wow. Yeah, it was done overnight because, you know, it was spoken from the heart. It was. You know? yeah. I had, what happened was I had a two-page two thing. It's an almost was on Yeah, You can't say all this, man. You got, you got five minutes, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, yeah, so after, after I said, okay, then... You know, I gave him, I gave him, I gave him what I felt. I gave him what I did, and you know, and we put together the speech, and that was it. You know, it's a great speech. Um, did you find it hard to go from your regular life to like, wow, now you're this celebrity known the world over? Uh, not really. Not really. No. That's good. Not really, uh, because let me, let me give it to you straight. Um, I've been so disappointed so many times and let down by so many people so many times, uh, put in a position and told things so many times, uh, given opportunities, even money, and still let down so many times that it didn't impress me no more. I was grateful, but we were all, I was very grateful. I was very grateful. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was, but I was given so many, so many lies in my face. Right. I was giving so many lies that it made it very, very hard for me to trust in anybody. Yeah. Right. It made it so difficult. You know, and, and still today, you know, I know I have to let it go, but it's difficult. No, I don't blame you. You've lost it's 26 difficult. years of your life inside prison. It's oh. difficult. Yeah. It's difficult. Let, me, let me explain something to you. And, and I'm not, I'm not going to mention no names. They already know who they are. Um, I was even given money. And I was promised that they were going to do a movie on my life. Mm-hmm. And they was going to do this and they was going to do that. And, uh, you know, I had a book written on my life. You know, and, you know, and little things like that. And uh, when the time came, they did absolutely nothing. 
Mm. They spent time. They, they spent three months with me. They went through my everyday life with me. Uh, I was uh, given the opportunity to have a reality TV show. Uh, you know, <laughs> when my life could have took a whole, whole different turn. Um, and and I couldn't do that because of the contract I was under. Uh, it just it just took me from a pedestal to where my life could have been way different than what it is right now. Mm-hmm. Where I feel as though I'm back to a normal status life. Everything that I did and everything that I was uh, presented to the world, you know, uh, was gone just like that, man. After a few months, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so now I'm catching myself starting all over, mm-hmm. you know, because. I understand. I, had, I, feel, I feel bitter about that. I feel bitter about that. No, it's easy I to get. Have a bit of taste. Have a bit of taste. Have a bit of taste about that. Did you? Um, did you? I mean, I don't blame you for having a bitter taste. Um, but uh, what did the pro fight? Did getting? Did finally getting a chance to fight pro? Was that satis- Was that satisfying? Was that satis- ah, How satisfying was that? Yeah. people talk about uh, persistence, mm-hmm. when people talk about, you know, how bad do you want something, you know, what are your morals, what are your obligations, what are your responsibilities, you know, uh, uh, how do you see yourself in the future, how determined are you, you know, you know, what is your fear, what is your commitment, what is your persistence, you know, can you forgive, how determined are you, you know what I mean? You know, uh, uh, what is your struggles? What is your conflicts? You know, and, 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 and so these, these are the type of things that I had to deal with along the way, just dealing with my fight, just dealing with my life, you know, and, and, and so, you know, I'm, I'm going to break this down to you as, 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 without making a long, drawn out story. Um, when I got up and I made that presentation at the SBs and I said, if there's anything that I would want in my life, that would be to have one pool fight to see what my, just to see what it's like to, to be a pro. And uh, what happened was with one of the guys who was listening to the show, he went and told Oscar David Hoy about it. And he also, his partner was Bernard Hopkins. And uh, so what happened was, was that when the word got back to them, uh, more, more, I forget her last name, Moore, who was uh, involved in the ESPY Awards, she told him about it, and what happened was, was this. I went out to Los Angeles, California. I left New York City and went out to uh, Los Angeles, California. And, and we left at 3 o'clock in the morning. I got out there a little after 2. When I got out there, um, I didn't even have a chance to unpack my bags. Nothing. Not a, not a single thing. I got out there, and uh, the person they did it said, "This is Moselle. You got to do a, 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 a five minute round on the heavy bag, five minute round on the speed bag, five minute round on on on, on jump rope, and then five minute rounds on the mix. And then you got to go out here and spar with this heavyweight, 
has 10 pro fights, and you're going to be sparring with him for three, three, three minute rounds. And this is to get you licensed? Yeah. Okay. And then here's the catch. Here's the catch, yes. And then here's the catch. He said, man, uh, what do you want me to do? He said, you don't do nothing. You just sit there and watch this man do it. You just get ready to spar. That's stand to that. He said, no, man, but, uh, you, know, you, you, you know, you got nothing else to say. You, you, this is what you came for. So, okay. So I did everything that they asked. And I said, yo, man, but he's a heavyweight. I'm a cruiserweight. And he got 10 pro fights. I didn't know that just got off the plane. Just Mozilla, are you going to do this or what? Said, of course I'm going to do it. Of course I'm going to do it. I said, I just, you know, I just think, man, that, you know, I said, let me just shut up. Let me just do it. I was pissed. Right. So I did everything that they asked. Me and him go out and spar. Here's the catch. Now, that's after, that's, that's 20 minutes of work straight. One minute rest of peace. Right? Then I'm going right out there and spar with this man. And he did absolutely nothing, so he's pressure. Right? So I put on my I put on everything, blah, 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 blah. And we get out of the spa. Right? So, you know, I mean, you know, I'm a little tired. I can't move the way I want to. I can't do the things I want to. But I'm still getting I'm still getting what I need to get off. Jeez. You know, in the third round, I stung him. I stung him when he buckles everything. Mm-hmm. And everything. And and I said, and, and so then I said, okay, that guy that should help me. That should help me. That should help me. So I thought the first round, you know, I was more, you know, five. Second round, I did way better. Third round, I did even better. Well, I stung him. I had him up against the ropes. I, you know, blah, blah, blah. And But I was tired. I was tired, you know. After all that work. I probably would have dropped him, man, if, if I wasn't so tired. <laughs> anyway, uh, a week and a half, no more than a week later, uh, I'm home. I'm waiting for them to give me a phone call and everything. So I get the phone call. And they told me I failed. What? Before I was pissed. You they failed? Me they told me I failed. And I stung a guy after all that work I did. I said, mad about it. I said, you know, so I went off for him. I went off. I cursed. I went off. You know, man, that's what I, you know, I just, you know, I'm going to give you just a little taste. But I was cursing. Right. I said, yo, I'm not going to curse you. I said, yo, man, if you just would have been fair, why would you be fair? I said, yo, man, I just got off. The dang old plane. I've been up since 3 o'clock this morning. It's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I said, okay, I, I, I get from down here. I said, yo, yo y'all had me all day. Y'all should be contesting. Y'all did this to me. You took two pints of blood. You did this to me. You did that to me. I said, yo, man. I said, yo. I said, I went through five hours of testing. And I said, yo, you get me down here and close to 7 o'clock at night going on 8. And then you asked me to fall? I said, this is a 17-hour day. That's y'all was unfair. I said, y'all didn't treat me right, man. Y'all did everything wrong, man. Y'all didn't even get, y'all, y'all didn't want me to pass the test. And I still did three rounds with the guy, and I stung him. Mm-hmm. Imagine if I'd have been fresh. No, man, y'all didn't want me to pass. But it was a waste of time, and I walked out the door. So I walked out the door, and I get outside, and, you know, and, I, and I, I'm mad as hell. And I asked you, yo, man, I said, yo, this is, this is all right. This is a bunch of bullshit.
Vernon Hopkins, I was going to be in the Hoyer got involved. So 30 days went by. I'm up at Vernon Hopkins' camp, and I'm working with him. He's getting ready for a fight, you know. And so this is October 15th, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the fight, blah, 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 blah. So I, I went and I took the test the second time. I, it passed. Oscar was in the corner with me. Nice. Oscar Hoyer. So um, this time I passed. I said, okay, you know, they made a long story short. I passed. I was happy about that. I said, okay, now, now I can really get myself ready for the fight. Mm-hmm. So here's a guy, uh, Larry Hopkins. Larry Hopkins, here's the catch. Larry Hopkins got three pro fights as a boxer, and he got 12 Miss Martial Arts pro fights. That's 15 fights to my more. Mm-hmm. I'm taking a fight. I got no time for no bullshit. I feel that I can beat him. I, I, I you know, I, I, I'm going to beat him. You know, that's just the way it is. Nothing has been easy for me, so I don't care. That's 15 pro fights to my nut, but I feel that I can beat him. And that's exactly what I did. I took the fight. So I said, how do you feel about taking this guy right here? I said, I, Oscar, I'm taking the fight. I'm taking the fight. I said, I don't have no time for no bulls. I don't care nothing about him. I, I looked at him. I said, I feel like I can beat him, man. I'm not even worried about it, man. I'm not even worried. I feel like I can beat him. So, uh, the day of the fight, the day of the fight came, you know, this guy, did a, yeah, I, I was beating him and all this. I said, I should have knocked him out. You know, I should have knocked him down. At least knocked him down. I should have did it. Yeah, the guy spit his mouthpiece out six times. It was match. so annoying to watch that fight. It was so annoying. He kept spitting his mouthpiece out. He must have been pissed. He didn't want me to knock him out. He didn't want me to knock him out. Yeah. And I hit him with a good right hand, you know, and I said, man, he didn't want me to drop him. He said, I don't want the old man to drop him, drop him man. I don't want the old man to beat me. You know, so, long, long story short, I won by a matter of decision. You know, mm-hmm. And I was happy about that, you know. So, um, I was offered another fight. Uh, Bertha Hopkins asked me to fight. And here's the catch. What Bertie didn't understand was this. I called it a career. I was done. I was one and done. I could have took the fight. But what Bertie didn't understand was, was that right up after the fight, I caught a cold. And when I caught a cold, this is the God of the truth, man. I caught a cold. And one of my eyes, uh, I had... Uh, uh, like, 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 I caught, I caught, I sneezed, and my eye went 90% blind. Oh, my God. The eye went, it was, it was hanging from a sweat. And my, I had 90% vision in my left eye, and I had 10% vision. When I lifted up, I had 10% vision, and I ran to the hospital. I, I told, I, I said, I said, I'm out of here. I, went, I ran to the hospital, I got to the hospital. And the following day, I had a laser operation. They, you know, they gave me a laser operation. However, what happened was, was that, right, because I caught a cold and I sneezed, I had 90% vision lost. Wow. One eye. Wow. And when I fought, when I fought Larry Hopkins, he never touched me in the eye. He never touched me. He got one cheekbone shot, and that was it. After that, the fight was easy. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I was winning. I said, it would have been 10 years. If I would have been 10 years younger, I would have knocked him out in the second round. <laughs> so that would have made me say, I'm done. That would have made me say, I'm done. I swear to God. That would have made me say, nah, I'm, I'm too old for this shit. How's your eye? How's your eye now? So, oh, I, 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 I got 2030. 2030 vision in one eye, 2020 in the other eye. You're better than me. You're doing better than me, and I'm 29, so. <laughs> I got yeah, yeah. shit, man. 
Are you still working with the uh, kids today? Still training? Uh, every now and then. Yeah. Every now and then. Every now and then. Every now and then. But here's the catch. The catch is this. The moral of the story is this. Bernard Athens asked me to fight with him again in Atlantic City. And I told Bernie, I said, Bernie, he's the God of the truth. I said, Bernie, I, I'm done. I'm finished. I'm not fighting no more. I mean, I'm done. You know? But he didn't know that I, that I had I had a shoulder injury. Mm-hmm. He didn't know I had a hip injury when I went out that far. And he didn't know that I lost, I had 90, 90 uh, uh, 10 in my eye. He didn't know that. He didn't mm-hmm. know I lost that much vision. He didn't know. I didn't even tell him. So, you know, I think he was a little upset because he wanted, he asked me to fight with him again. And I said, <laughs> nah, I'm not going to do it. You know? I mean, that, he and fought until he was 50, so, I mean, it's kind of hard to tell him to quit fighting. I, I, didn't, I didn't explain to him, yeah. but I, I, I didn't, it was a waste of time. It wasn't, you know, I don't talk about it. You know yeah. what I mean? You know, I mean, you know, you one of the few other guys that I talked to about it. Yeah. You know, and I turned to fight with Bernie, you know, and, and it wasn't that I didn't want to fight. It was just that I, I'm done. Right. I So Luda Bella, Luda Bella asked me, Luda Bella said, listen, All these offers to fight again, that's incredible. You're able to turn them all down. That's good money. you promised the president. Once I, once I do it, I'm going to put my heart 
tied to the Men at War. Blah, 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 blah. Man of War. Man of War. Okay. Man of War. Yeah. You look it up. You can see it. You can see it on the uh, on the internet. Yeah. And uh, his name is Bob Cody. You know, and uh, I'm under him. You know, I'm under, uh, he's the co-founder. He's the CEO of the Man of War Society, and uh, I'm one of the Padres now. Okay. I'm the Padres. And uh, it's, it's the Man of War mission. It's like you know, uh, Man of War uh, strategy applies the ancient battle-tested principles, the tactics, the philosophies of uh, more very various wars and cultures in the, the day modern world. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, it's very very good. You know, it's dealing with the samurai, it's dealing with the, uh, the knights. Um, you know. And uh, you know it's 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 very very good, man. And we had it. Uh, in fact, we got something coming up very very soon. You know, dealing with the Spartans, and you know, um, it's very good. It's a five it's a five day stay, and uh, you get to see who you really are as an individual, as a person, as a human being. So I'm involved in that. You know, little things like that. All right. So it's, it's, that's what I'm involved in. Man, we've talked for almost two hours. This is a great interview. Um, before we go, I have eight questions that, or seven, seven questions, excuse me, that I've asked every single champion that I've had on this podcast. Uh, are you ready to answer them? Sure. All right, man. What is the most memorable place you fought? Staples Center. Staples Center. California. Yeah. Yeah. What made that so special? championship belt when you won the light heavyweight championship or yeah the light heavyweight championship in prison correct yes okay where's the most uh where's the most memorable place you've ever brought your championship belt what is the most memorable about that belt and where's the best place you've ever brought your championship belt or like the place you remember the most that you brought your championship I've never brought it anywhere. you never brought it anywhere Wow. I got in fact in fact the WBC uh, Jose Kaliman uh, of, of the WBC World Championship his son gave me the uh, WBC championship belt under the Deontay Wilder uh, fight mm. in uh, uh, in Barclays Center okay and uh, 
Yeah, so when he gave me that belt, I was like more than proud, more than happy, you know, about that. And uh, so, you know, I got I got the real WBC World Championship belt. And um, then I got another NABF belt that was uh, that was given to me um, at 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 a, at, a, at a thing. So I got a couple of belts other than the one that I that I had from uh, Simpson State Penitentiary. Okay. Um, all of them I'm proud of. All of them I'm happy about. And uh, in fact, uh, the boxing monthly. You know, I just was put in the April. I just was put in the April uh, magazine. You know, um, that boxing saved my life. But, you know, so, you know, that's the update one in 2020. Yes. That was just, you know, done articles done on me. Mm-hmm. So, I, I'm, I'm proud about that. I'm happy about that. You know, um, but there's still a lot more things that I want to do. I want to get out of here. I want to do public speaking and, really, you know, share my story with a lot of people. Um, you know, so things like that, yes. What's the best advice you've ever received in the corner? The best advice I received with Dad was, was from Danny Chapman, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Danny Davis, excuse me, not Danny Chapman, Danny Davis, who was in my corner, my corner. And, um, you know, he said, yeah, man, there's nothing to worry about, man. You got this guy. Blah, 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 blah. You know, um, I like the way he uh, directed me. I like the way he, you know, pushed me. You know, um, I like the way he was in the corner with me. He was very, you know, sharp about the words that he used. You know, um, it was so cool that, you know, I didn't even took my mouthpiece out of my mouth. You know, that's, that's how much he had me. You know, I was under control. But I think the best advice that I received was from Bernard Hopkins. When Bernard Hopkins told me before the fight that I was going to ride, my intent was to go out here, like, rip this dude head off. You know, mm-hmm. I was going to go out there and just like, yo, know, you know, get it. I'm, I'm going to get him. But Bernard Hopkins said to me, he said, do it. Don't go out here and try to crush the crowd. Go out here, fight your fight. Relax. Fight your fight. That's great advice. That's how. Huh? That's great yeah. advice. Yeah, but he gave me that. That's why he ran out of gas before I did. Right. That's why, that's why the other guy ran out of gas. And I was like, I, ain't even, I, I knew I was in a fight. I knew I was in a fight, but I wasn't in a fight. Mm-hmm. I went out there and I fought. And so when he ran out of gas, I was still, I, you know, I, was, I wasn't exhausted. I was in no way near exhausted. Mm-hmm. I probably could have won another two or three rounds. Wow. You know? Yeah, no, I mean, you, you definitely fought him. Uh, um, what fighter would you have liked to have fought? I, I, you know, you know, I would tell everybody inside, I, uh, man, man. Bob Jackson, may he rest in peace. Uh, I told Bob Jackson the inside. I said, yo, man, I could beat Roy Jones. You think you can beat Roy Jones? Everybody said, Roy Jones would have killed you. Roy Jones would have killed you. I said, this is what I told everybody. I said, yeah. I said, he's a better boxer. I said, only because of hand speed. I said, there's something that I see inside of him. I said, the first guy, the first guy that fights him, really fights him, is going to beat him. Look what happened to him. Look what happened against him with Tarver. I said, the first guy that goes out there and fights him is going to win. Mm-hmm. He ain't going to have boxing. I said, he's got superior good hand speed. Right. He's got beautiful reflexes. I said, and everybody's not born like that. I said, but if you fight him the way that Joe Frazier fought, 
Muhammad Ali. If you fight him the way that uh, 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 Ronald Duran fought Davey Moore, you know, if you fight him anywhere in a way that Sidney Leonard fought Mofredo Benitez, He's going down, man. Yeah. You know, it's like I, you just gotta put, the, I, you just gotta put the style together on how to beat him, man. So much you can, bust, so much you get a black guy, so much you get a bust him, man. So much you gotta do scratches and bruises. Young man, fight him. Don't go out there and try to outbox him. Fight him. Take it to him. Take it to him. Don't try to, don't just, don't try to outbox him. That's what I told everybody. I said the first guy that did that. First time, I told him, tell me in trouble, prove that. And I, and I told him, like, I looked at the fight, yo, when he first dropped, when he first dropped more Jones, I said, yo, man, that was a lucky shot, but it was a good shot. No, it wasn't, no, it wasn't. I said, yo, I'm telling you, it was a lucky shot. He said, no, it wasn't. I mean, why are you always think you know everything? That means you tell me. Why are you think you always do everything? I said, okay. Take it back on replay. And Bob Jackson even said it. I said, put it back, Bob. I said, put it back, dog. So we can read the fight. And if he closes his eyes, they said, oh, shit. How the hell did you see that, man? How did you see that? I said, that's my job in the fight, man. That's my job. Right. He closed his eyes through the damn punch. He didn't know what the hell Roy Jones was going to throw. But he closed his eyes and he threw that left hand right down the middle. Maybe we can somehow set up Roy Jones versus Dewey Bozella. Is that possible? Could that happen? <laughs> Let me tell you something. Uh, uh, maybe rest in peace. Uh, uh, Howard Letterman. Howard Letterman said something. Mm -hmm. Howard Letterman said oh, Harold Letterman? Yeah. He said, he said, he said, yeah. He said, uh, he said, Bozella. I was standing next to, uh, uh, Andre Ward. Said, Bozella. Shoes with a black with a black pair of gloves with the red trimming on it with a you know 
and 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 Devil and Devil with a roll with that name on it. Mm-hmm. It makes you feel ridiculous. That's why Mike Tyson felt the way he felt. It makes you like ah, but butt on the land. All the great fighters. You see a lot of them that that, that have that killing instinct of all black. Mm-hmm. You know, it just brings something out of you. It just brings something out of you. Not that you want to murder the guy. It just just makes you feel like <laughs> I got, I can't lose. I don't want to lose. Right. You know, that's what I, that's what black does. It has nothing to do with you know just the just just that 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 fighter instinct. You know, you bring that out of you. You know, I'll leave like to wear white. I mean, that's the way it's like. You like to beat the hell out of you. If you knock, I'll come and knock, I'll come. But you like to beat the hell out of you. Yeah. What's... So, in sparring or in a fight, have you ever had to go to the bathroom in the middle of a sparring session or in the middle of a fight? No, I made sure I took care of it before I got out there. Before I got out there. That's good. You'd be amazed at some of the stories I've heard. Uh, Nah, man. I I never had to do that, man. I made sure... I made sure I took care of all that, man, so I can, like, feel relaxed and I put my mind into the fight. Right. You know? I hear you. Uh, I, like, I, like, I like to turn myself into, like, the way Buffalo Duran was. <laughs> you know? So, last question. Like last question. Dewey Bozell, you're in charge of boxing. You're the you're the president. You're the emperor. You can make whatever rules you want. What's one rule that you would make him to change boxing? Uh, I'm going to be very honest with you. Um... Prove that you're a world champion, a true world champion. After you, after you unite, after you unite all the belts, you go 15 rounds. So after you unite all the belts, you got to go 15 rounds. Got to go 15 rounds. Okay. <laughs> everybody, everybody who, 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 you know, you got, you got, we got 52 different divisions. Uh, like, so you can, yeah, quite a few. You got, you got, you got 52. You got 52. Sometimes I wish fights were back to 15 rounds, but I understand the 12 round for safety or whatever. <laughs> uh. No, the reason is, the reason is because of this, right? They all got, they all got used to the 12 rounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't know what it, they don't know what it's like with the Ali era. They don't know what it's like, you know, with the uh, Sugar Ray Leonard era. They don't know what it's like for the Tommy Hearns era. Yeah. They don't know what it's like. Let's even go back to little Danny Red Lopez. Let's go back to some of the great fighters. Gene Gahackman. All them type of fighters, man. They don't even know anything about that. You know, so they're used to this 12 rounds. And they think they're really doing something. They're tired as hell. How are you going to be tired? No, truth, a true champion should be 15 rounds. I hear you. All right. Mr. Bozella, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You are an amazing guest. And have a good rest of your day, okay? Hey, man, thank you so much. Man. I appreciate, appreciate it. No, I appreciate this as well. Take care, man.
Bye, Take care, man. Bye. All right. That was Dewey Bozella sharing his life story. Incredible guest. Very, 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 very humble to have him on. And that's the podcast. All right. Follow us on Facebook at Rope Dope Podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Rope Dope Podcast. Please listen to us on SoundCloud. Please listen to us on uh, Anchor. Please and please listen to us on Spotify. All of those. Look us up under Rope Dope Podcast. And with that, that has been another episode of the Rope Dope Podcast. Everyone out there, keep fighting. It's a great interview. Thank you, Mr. Bozella, and you guys out there have a good rest of your day. Goodbye.